0: find and make strong relationships with people that are very different from you. It The easiest trap, especially for emerging leaders, is to stay with the folks that you already know, who you yes. already trust, who trust you, you all get each other, you're, you have fun together, and that's your comfort zone. And by the way, you can have a really big full, crowded comfort zone, full of people who love you and see the world just the same way you do. Um, The leaders that really distinguish themselves are the ones who are making deliberate, intentional choices to seek out people who are different from them and build relationships with them. The First
1: Responder Liaison Network is proud to present to you the Kitchen Table Podcast, Where our guests come share their stories, their perspectives, and their message, talking all things leadership. Now, here's your host, Berlin Maza. Welcome to episode 30 of The Kitchen Table. Our show is brought to you by the First Responder Liaison Network. The network is organized for the development, implementation, and ongoing support of mentorship and professional development programs, inspiring our youth and young adults to mature into engaged civic leaders. And resilient to community sentinels. Music and graphics are brought to you by Kai Elephant Productions. And on the kitchen table today is the first of a two-part series hosting professors from the University of Washington Foster School of Business and the co-directors of the Seattle Fire Department Executive Leadership Academy. We welcome Christina Fong, the Associate Dean for Undergraduate Programs and the Michael G. Foster Endowed Professor of Management at the Michael G. Foster School of Business at the University of Washington. She graduated magna cum laude from Williams College in 1998 with honors in psychology and a concentration in neuroscience. She has a PhD in organizational behavior from Stanford University, as well as a master's degree in sociology. Christina's research and consulting interests include the study of emotions in the workplace, leadership development, impression management, Power and Politics in Organizations, Negotiations, and Management Education. Her research has been covered in The Economist, The Wall Street Journal, Business Week, and Slate, among others. Christina joined the University of Washington in 2003, and she teaches leadership and management principles to a wide variety of audiences, from undergraduates to executives. Her efforts have been recognized with several teaching awards, including the 2011 Distinguished Teaching Award winner of the Evening MBA Faculty Service Award in 2019, 2020, 21, and 2022, MBA Corps Professor of the Year, and Outstanding UW Woman. She has also served as Senior Fellow in the UW Faculty Fellows Program and was the co-winner of the Dean's Leadership Award in 2015. In her life outside the university, Christina lives with her partner, two sons and two dogs. Christina also works as an executive coach, helping CEOs and other top executives accelerate their leadership development and strategic thinking. She leads and teaches executive seminars on leadership development, negotiation, innovation, and decision making. She was recognized as a recipient of Women as Bridge Builders Making a Difference, Women of Color Empowered Award, sponsored by Northwest Asian Weekly in 2016. Good afternoon, Christina. Thank you so much for joining the kitchen table today. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here.
1: <laughs> Thank you for being here. Uh, well, we have to start with this because we have to. The timing's perfect. Uh, Huskies, 13-0, Sugar Bowl against Texas, against former coach. Um, I have to ask, how excited are you, your students, the staff, the faculty? How How, how is it over there?
0: We are super excited. I will say that I had the tickets, the plane tickets all dialed up for the Rose Bowl. Uh-huh. So it felt like a little bit of a switch, uh, but, right. uh, and I did consider flying down to New Orleans. Um, uh-huh. but I think I'm gonna watch it on TV. Absolutely, am really interested to see how Sark does against <laughs> Huskies so proud to be part of um, this current team and okay. it's, it's so exciting to see their ascent. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm hoping we're going all the way to the end here. Yes.
1: Oh, I mean, absolutely. And uh, I think you or Bruce or both of you or everybody, I guess, was saying hopefully at our next uh, get together in January, maybe we'll be a uh, maybe possibly hoping to celebrate maybe a national championship in January. So That'd be awesome.
0: That'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, before we do get going, uh, would you mind sharing a little bit about Christina? Maybe a little bit about family hobbies, your journey as a professor, but also how you got into leadership development and coaching and also the Executive Leadership Academy. So let's start there.
0: Yeah, sure. Sure. Well, I mean, let's start at the beginning. Um, I grew up in Miami, Florida, which feels really different and far from Seattle. Um, And um, I've been in Seattle now for about 21 years. uh, But I think my Miami upbringing is something that um, I bring with me uh, to everything that I do uh, in comparison to many of my University of Washington colleagues, I'd say I'm pretty blunt. Um, <laughs> uh, really drawn to cities and places and spaces that just have a lot going on. Um, I my family uh, brand is chaos. Um, we are not usually on time, um, <laughs> nor do are we well kept. But we <laughs> but we show up with a lot of noise and um, a lot of fun um, and. Another thing about me is I feel like my family is one that is very global. So um, my uh, father grew up in what was then called Borneo and is now called Myanmar. He had a pet, a pet ape, actually. Um, My mom grew up in Taiwan, but came to the States uh, for college. My family lived in Saudi Arabia for six years um, and, Um, and my husband is Indian. I've got mixed race kids. So there's a lot, uh, I'm lucky to have had lots of different world perspectives and lots of different narratives that have come into my life. And that's something I feel like is a huge blessing for me.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you. And, um, you mentioned Miami. I didn't know you're from Miami and we yeah. just got done talking about, uh, I know this is not the leadership conversation, but, but I, I, I love college football. So 90, what year was, that, 91? was it? 91? Oh the my husband? gosh.
0: I was, uh, listen, I'm a cane.
1: Okay. So yes. Tell us about that. I,
0: I was just telling my students didn't believe me. <laughs> I, I was telling them that when I was growing, I mean, when I was growing up was win the rock
1: was uh-huh. oh in, no was, way uh,
0: was in the canes
1: before um, the rock that <laughs> was the rock obviously <laughs> but wow so you knew the rock you were in miami 91 uh obviously the the the, the you know the the national champions if you were husky and then miami and then you came up to uw eventually wow that's uh that's some history yeah. there that's yeah a, that's i mean
0: so many memories of um the old school Orange Bowl. Yes, the you know, old we school. Every yes. year. And yeah, yeah, I have a
1: lot of memories. Wow. Um, Amazing. Okay, so let's jump into this. So um, as we talk leadership today, uh, let's talk, uh, because I know you from obviously the the Emerging Leaders Academy, if you will, but then also those virtual virtual town halls that I was invited to, and now obviously the Executive Leadership Academy. But for our listeners, and it's, it's just a good way to start the conversation, can you talk a little bit about the inception of the Seattle fire department and the foster school of business executive leadership Academy, how that came about. And, you know, and it's, uh, I'm going to get this incorrect. And I apologize. Is this the sixth cohort, fifth cohort, sixth
0: fifth cohort.
1: You think fifth. I know this, right. <laughs> um, and then, and then the kind of the of prog- where it started and how it progressed to five and that whole thing.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, something I'm, I feel again, has been such a positive impact in my life. Um, The story starts um, about eight or nine years ago, um, back when Chief Harold Scoggins from Seattle Fire Department was relatively new in his position. Um, One of the things that he did was he reached out to the University of Washington. Uh, He knows a colleague of mine um, who at the time was doing a podcast on Um, essentially the massive growth of Seattle Um, and uh, through that podcast he reached out to say he was interested in connecting to somebody who might be uh, good in helping the fire department think through its culture Mm -hmm. um, and how we might shift the Seattle fire department culture to create a stronger emphasis on inclusion and diversity So my first real point into this, uh, into fire services was through uh, Seattle Fire Department Mm. uh, from a research standpoint. I led a research team that included three other uh, foster business school faculty. And uh, one of the things that we did was we did a lot of um, qualitative uh, focus groups and interviews to better understand the uh, approach towards diversifying fire services. Um, And through those conversations, I met many fire services leaders, um, and that's really when I came to understand what it might mean to be a leader within fire services. Um, Throughout those conversations, um, uh, those ongoing conversations between myself and Chief Scoggins, you know, one of the things that emerged was this um, very central notion that the fire services does a fabulous job of training, you know, the commitment to lifelong learning and continually honing one's skills is so much a part of fire services But we both felt that the um, attention was really much more on the technical side, the Mm -hmm. operational side of what it means to be in fire services. And um, so many of the conversations that I had with fire services leaders were, you know, I got promoted because I'm a great firefighter um, and I'm a great colleague and friend, but nobody's taught me how to lead, nobody's taught me how to make a public statement, how to balance uh, a budget, how to talk to city council, etc. And through those conversations, um, we started to just explore well, what would it look like to Mm. train to to develop a training program that is based around leadership. And at that point, I brought my colleague in, Bruce Avoglio, who is the director of the Center for Leadership and Strategic Thinking and will be a future guest on this podcast. Um, And together, we started to create um, a series of focus groups um, with fire services leaders, which eventually has now morphed into the advisory board for what we call the SFD ELA or Seattle Fire Department Executive Leadership Academy. And, you know, it was probably six or seven years ago that we started those conversations um, with a blank page and just said, what are the skills that um, you all as existing fire services leaders really think Um, you need in order to succeed what are the kinds of trainings that you wished you had had Mm -hmm. Um, and what do you think uh, an academy really needs to include Mm -hmm. and from you know lots of you can picture those rooms with a bunch of whiteboards and post-it notes and people talking and after a series of those kinds of conversations we developed the Uh, first iteration of the Executive Leadership Academy. And that first um, ELA was very much focused on Seattle. Um, There were um, three departments represented in the first cohort, but 29 of the folks in the first cohort came from Seattle Fire Department And over time, now that we are in the fifth cohort, I've been really pleased to see how the approach to leadership development has really grown. Um, And I think for many, many reasons, many fire service departments across the region have started to recognize If we want to be able to succeed, if we want to be able to feel excited about where fire services is going, we need to be investing more in leadership development. And so I very much credit that group of leaders who seven or eight years ago really helped us to establish the objectives of the. Um, Leadership Academy and the advisory board now that really helps us to continually hone, you know, every year we are trying new ways um, and really uh, taking advantage, I would say, of lots of new types of ways to engage. So in terms of thinking about how the sort of whole umbrella works, COVID was a terrible thing, Mm -hmm. but it certainly allowed us to, I think, um, try some new approaches to leadership development. So, um, you know, we were in the midst of the second cohort when um, COVID occurred, and we kind of finished that year up uh, virtually, but it was also, you know, candidly speaking, something that was probably a lower priority for everyone as we were really navigating this global pandemic. Um, But one of the things that I think came out of that was this recognition that there was ways that we could connect um, over Zoom and in different kinds of modalities. And so through those conversations, we first started with virtual town halls Mm -hmm. um, that where Bruce and I just felt that it was important to create some space for fire services leaders Uh, behind closed doors to just share what are you going through, what's on your minds right now, um, what are the leadership challenges that you're facing, how can we create spaces for folks to help each other, and how do we bring in outside voices from outside of fire services to really enrich that conversation. And then after the virtual town halls, we launched the Emerging Leaders Academy, mostly because... um, the Executive Leadership Academy is really set up for senior leaders, folks who have, you know, on average, like this year's cohort has, you know, between an average of 10 and 15 years in fire services. But every year we were getting um, applicants to -hmm. the Executive Leadership Academy that have been in fire services for one, two, three years. Um, And it was very painful for us to say, this is not for you. Um, And so I think we were both really interested in saying, how do we make sure that folks who are early in their career, who really want to be having conversations about leadership and want to be investing in themselves, what can we provide for them? And out of that conversation came the emerging leaders, um, which you know, is set up a little bit differently, it's a little less high touch than the Executive Leadership Academy, but um, helped to create a little bit of a community around, you know, the Puget Sound uh, area, yeah. of nascent leaders who just wanted to talk to other people about yeah. what it was like to lead in fire services. So I was happy to have you be yeah. in that first cohort. And there are a couple of folks from that fr- first cohort mm-hmm. that I could to see showing up in leadership positions throughout yeah. the yeah. area makes me really happy and proud.
1: Yeah, no, thank you for that. And uh, some of that history that, that even I, being in the emerging leaders now that you know, I I didn't even know necessarily. So, um, and which is amazing because our group is working on regional officer development, but we've actually changed a little bit. We changed it to kind of regional leadership development. Um, but it's because you know in the fire service we historically speaking we've we we haven't more or less uh, required or, you know, offered leadership development, like you said. But I think this, these leadership academies that Seattle Fire Department and UW has put together, starting with the ELA now, the EMLA is, is a step in the direction that we knew was lacking. And so this is, I was fortunate, I'm fortunate to be a part of it. Um, it, it, The connections, the things you learn, people you meet. So I guess I have to ask, is there going to be, is there a plan for a second cohort of the emerging leaders?
0: I think there's a, certainly a desire, okay. um, you know, just like everything else, the question is bandwidth yeah. and do we have the capacity to yeah. do it the way that we would really like to. Exactly. Um, these are questions that Bruce and I tackle uh, weekly yeah. um, in terms of thinking about what is the best way to serve our community in yeah. this way. Yeah. Um, so certainly those are ongoing conversations.
1: Got it. So, listeners, if they're uh, stay tuned and please look out for the ELA and the EMLA because these are phenomenal opportunities if you're developing yourself as a leader. So, thank you for that, Christina. So, let's uh, let's jump into this because uh, in our last session together, you—I uh, think it was actually two sessions ago—you specifically had talked a lot about the growth mindset, and that is just we hear it a lot today. We've heard it a lot for the last couple of years. But a lot of us either heard it, read it through a book, heard someone say it on a TED talk or something. But uh, many of us haven't got to sit with someone and talk to us literally about the growth mindset, what it is in theory, how to apply it to our personal life or professional life. So, do you mind unpacking uh, the growth mindset for us?
0: Sure, absolutely. So, you know, growth mindset is really about the way in which we view ourselves and the and who we are um and oftentimes when we talk about growth mindset we talk about growth mindset in contrast to something called a fixed mindset Mm um uh when people are holding a fixed mindset what that means is they are really focused on the way that who they are and the way in which they were born and have this idea that uh, who we are doesn't really change over time, and our goal is to demonstrate to the world who we are. In contrast, um, having a growth mindset really emphasizes the dynamic nature of um, who we are as humans, These are as people who are continually changing, um, and um, allows us to think about how we change over time. So the easiest way to talk about something like growth mindset is through examples, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Some of us, I think, were raised with the notion that there are people in this world who are good at math and (laughs) people who are not good at math. And I, in my day-to-day life in higher education, come across students all the time who just say, I'm not a math person, Mm -hmm. Um, And that is very much a a fixed mindset approach. Um, A growth mindset um, statement would be, I'm not a math person yet, Yet. right? Or yet yet is a really important piece that it turns out dictates so much of how we see what success means, how we see what failure means, um, how we think about what it means to do work. So, um, you know, when we have a growth mindset, we are continually seeking ways to learn more, um, build out our skills and get better at things. Um, when we've got a fixed mindset, we are emphasizing finding places to show who we are. Um, and, uh, helping to demonstrate what it is that we are. So another, you know, example of this is if I were to ask you, you know, about your new job, Um, a growth mindset person would say, my new job is great. I'm learning all sorts of things. And I haven't, you know, I'm being exposed to things I never thought about before. A fixed mindset person would say, my new job is going great. My boss is really impressed with the work I've done, I've shown people that I can really do this job, right? Um, And the data and the evidence on growth mindset is really, really clear. When we have a growth mindset, we are much more likely to continue to persist on things that are difficult, um, where we, uh, when we encounter obstacles, we continue to work harder and think our way through those. Um, whereas folks who are more likely to have a fixed mindset, see those obstacles as omens. They mm-hmm. are much more likely to change tracks and move into something that, where they feel much more comfortable. Yeah. The reason why this is important for leadership development is because um, for many folks, Um, Particularly those who um, came of age in the late 1900s, uh, it requires a lot of unlearning with regards to what it means to develop leaders. Even when I was in graduate school in the late 90s, there was an element of leadership development as leadership selection, which Mm -hmm. is to say that the job of a organizational leader was to identify who are the leaders in this group and Mm -hmm. how do we promote them into that space. Um, But now with the benefit of much more sophisticated research tools and stronger theory, what we see is not that our job is to find the leaders, but that our job is to create the leaders um and that you know our the the role of the organization is not to weed out but to feed right and so each of us thinks about how we can get better um we need to move out of our comfort zone and do the things that are you know that don't come naturally to us as opposed to just staying in our comfort zone, try and continuing to do the same thing that we know we won't fail at.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, so leadership, because we've talked about that. So leadership, uh, or leaders are not born, right? I mean, I guess they can be, but leaders are grown, they're trained, and they're, they're built, right. And so I love how you said the piece about yet, basically, to, uh, to, to stop the fixed mindset, it's whatever you think you can't do, shouldn't do, aren't able to do. It's just, yes, it's that, but it's just you can't yet. And I think that's, um, it goes to, I think, you know, instead of saying, I have to see something to believe it, maybe just, I got to believe it. And then you could eventually see it because then you can work toward it. So, so that's I was, one thing I was going to ask about that is you said, the research data does show that those with a growth mindset, it, it, they actually do persist. Like that's actually a, it's a scientifically proven, right? That, that you have a growth mindset, you are X amount of times more likely to succeed or mm-hmm. achieve whatever it is that you're going for. So, Another piece that I want to kind of talk about is you talked about authenticity. And we talked about this in the last piece here. So talk about authentic leadership and why authenticity matters in a strong leader.
0: Yeah, I think uh, when I think about authentic leadership, there are a few things that I think are worth highlighting. The first is, you know, you hardly ever heard people talking about authentic leadership again in the 1900s, right? Right. This is something that has really come of age in the last 20 years or so. And when we think about why, why do people seem to really value authenticity now more than they ever have before? um, It makes a ton of sense to focus on authenticity when you realize how leaders jobs have changed Mm -hmm. over the last 50 years, you know, Uh, It used to be the case that a strong leader was somebody, you know, what we valued in a strong leader was that they were an effective orator. They could give a really great, compelling speech, right? Um, A speech that stirred us up and made us feel great about the work that we were doing. And, you know, if we think about some of those folks like that we laud as um, really effective leaders from the late 1900s, um, those are folks who are great at giving speeches mm-hmm. and they often would give, you know, three or four memorable speeches a year and then mm-hmm. go and close the door and behind closed doors get a lot of work done yeah. and nobody knew how that work was getting done. What, you know, what values and morals might have been compromised in doing so, um, what they were saying to one person versus another, et cetera. Well, in 2023, um, the ability to get work done behind closed doors has essentially vanished, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And as leaders, we know that we are, um, in many ways, in the public eye, our entire a day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? Mm -hmm. And that is, I think, due to things like social media, you know, the um, desire and hunger for more information about um, leaders' private lives, um, uh, easier ways of documenting what is happening, um, Freedom of Information Act, like there's all these different aspects that create a massive push towards transparency.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so to be the kind of leader who says, well, I'll tell you what you need, what I think you want to hear right now, and then I'll go ahead and do whatever I want. It's just not a way, it's not a sustainable way to, right. to, to lead. Okay. Um, and therefore the only way out of that kind of trap is to recognize that I need to just actually be true to who I am. Right. And right. in order to um, to be an effective leader, that's going to require me to do a lot of self-reflection mm-hmm. about what are the things that I really care about? Uh, what are my core values? And I need to be able to express those um, right. in a way that is going <laughs> to feel not only consistent over time, but consistent to who I am. Yeah. Because this kind of like, public versus private domain um, has really erased itself.
1: Yeah. So, well, yeah. Go no, ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, because I, I was reading some of the notes here and you talked about, as we talked about authenticity, you talked about, first of all, identity matters, but then you talked a lot about bringing your whole self, whether it be to work or to wherever place that you're, you're you know, bring yourself toward. I, I like that piece because we all should, first of all, wherever we go, we should be able, we should all should be able to be bringing ourselves our whole selves to that environment or that place. And if we don't, we're not going to be able to get all of us or all of you out of you. And, and, you know, especially in the workplace, we want our people to show up and bring themselves. That's why you're here. That's why we hired you. That's why we promoted you and so on and so forth. So, but can you talk about obviously the challenges to that? Obviously it's important. We know it's, you want to bring your whole self to work, but uh, how can we do that as uh, the importance of being authentic and being able to do that. But as leaders, how do we encourage others to be able to bring your whole self or how do we as leaders provide that environment, if you will, so people will bring themselves to work fully every day?
0: I think that this conversation has to start with recognition of power differences and advantages that are associated with different aspects of ourselves. Um, We all now in 2023 recognize that each of us holds associations between different types of identities, different types of um, communities and groups, and their relationship to power, access to resources, etc. So one, while I think it's a very um, admirable goal to say we all should be bringing our whole selves to work, I think we have to add a lot of nuance to that statement. Because for some people, bringing your whole self to work carries more risk than Mm -hmm. for others right and Mm -hmm. um if we haven't put that out as a you know just as a matter of a fact that um some of us it's easy to bring our whole selves to work um there's no social risk associated with doing that um and our whole selves happen, the identities that we carry with us happen to be ones that are typically associated with the existing power structure um, and uh, our own internal stereotypes about what leadership looks like, what it is, et cetera. Um, Over time, what we see is that as people who have power in organizations reveal more and more aspects of their identities, um, those power dynamics can shift. Yeah. Um, and so just to give uh, an example of this, you know, um, in, uh, you know, again, 25 years ago, it might be a big question mark for a leader to decide whether they want to disclose the um the fact that they're gay, mm-hmm. um, and that that might be seen as a real barrier. Well, I'm not going to get promoted if people know this about me, or I'm less likely to you know be able to ascend to become a fire chief or whatever it might be. But of course, now that um that more people have shared those aspects of themselves, we get lots more evidence of saying, no, no, I see that there is, you know, that we've got really strong leaders who are gay. And so being gay probably is not related mm-hmm. to whether or not you are um, going to be seen as a leader. Uh, yeah. Though, But those are processes that have unfolded over time, yeah. and they um, and there are plenty of different types of identities, whether it's you know neurodivergence yeah. or um, particular religious affiliations. There's plenty of different kinds of identities for which there haven't been as many associations between yeah. that identity and leadership and power. Yeah. Um, and so, as a collective it requires each of, you know, many individuals to make brave, courageous decisions to reveal those identities um, uh, for themselves and recognize and why it's courageous is because people are taking risks when they do. that.
1: Well, I was going to ask, like, uh, how do we, it's kind of a, it's kind of an odd question, because I don't know if necessarily getting there quicker is is a solution, because things will happen, they'll, they'll progress eventually. But like, how do we, And there could be, there there could be, we don't want that, or it's not going to happen, or it it shouldn't, but how do you make that progression happen faster? For example, you talk about those power differences, and sometimes, like over time, certain things become a little bit more culturally accepted, if you will, But but sometimes it takes time. It might be like, you know, 10 years, we'll say, just to throw an arbitrary number out there. It takes 10 years for something to become more socially and literally accepted in the workplace, whatever it may be. How do we get it so it doesn't take 10 years to progress fast? You know, can we get there in two years? is that doable? Should it, should, uh, but I guess what you said is uh, you, you kind of have to be courageous and maybe as a leader, you do, you know, you, you put yourself out there, you, sh- you step out there and make these things. So it's not, I don't even know the word to say weird, if you will, it's different. It's we, we, <laughs> we, we, we just be courageous in what we do. We talk, we have difficult conversations. We encourage others to, to bring themselves and uh, we make things okay. And, you know, I mean, I, I guess it goes to inclusion and belonging, but I guess, the question, I know I'm just rambling, but there's the question, like, how do we progress faster?
0: Yeah, the answer to that, I think, is a really cru- crucial concept, which is psychological safety. Uh, we've talked about Psychological that. safety is uh, what organizations do to send signals to their, you know, what teams do yeah. to send signals to the teammates about, can you take a risk or not? and how do we respond to risks? And you know that's not just in the realm of revealing identities. Yes. It's also when you make a mistake, how quickly are you able to tell your teammates, hey, I messed up here. Mm-hmm. Um, in teams that don't have a lot of psychological safety or organizations that don't have psychological safety, people hide their mistakes, Mm -hmm. they hide their identities, they hide when they disagree with um, what the leader is saying, because they have seen many, many signals that taking that risk is not going to be rewarded. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if you've got a team or an organization that's characterized by high psychological safety, then as soon as I make a mistake, I'm going to tell people hey, I made this mistake and we're going to be able to address it and learn from it and move on. Similarly, I'm going to tell you if I disagree with you. I'm going to tell you if I disagree with the majority. I'm going to tell you if I have a different kind of identity than um, the majority does. And here, again, the research could not be more clear. Um, there, There is really cool research from hospital settings that look at healthcare teams and the paradoxical thing that the research by Amy Edmondson from Harvard showed is surgical teams that are higher performing, as in, you know, they're, they're less likely to have misdiagnoses, their patients live longer, you know, all of those things, they actually report a higher number of medical errors than teams that are lower performing. And when you hear that, it sounds like this paradox, wait a minute, you've more mistakes and you're doing better. How isn't that, (laughs) shouldn't that be the same thing? But what they find is that the low performing teams don't report their mistakes. Uh, Um, Right. And it's because they're afraid They are to report their mistakes. So they try to hide them. And what that means is nobody learns from them, Uh, learns from those mistakes There's no communication. There's no, how can we do this better next time? Those conversations never happen because everybody's covering up their mistakes. Oh,
1: that's interesting. Oh, thank you for that. So I guess I have a question. I know it's probably, it's too long of an answer, but I guess uh, in a a summarized fashion, how do organizations build psychological safety?
0: Um, A lot of it has to do with investing in um, cohesion, So do I feel close to you? Um, Do we consider ourselves to be friends? Um, You know, do we have mechanisms Mm. where we are demonstrating um, how we learn from each other and giving each other feedback? Um, All of those kinds of things, I think are really important. I would highly recommend um, the book, The Fearless Organization by Amy Edmondson. It has a lot of... um, sort of rules that you can follow to create psychological safety but okay. a lot of it is about just training people to be honest about what's happening right okay. um and sometimes when people first hear about things like a growth mindset and having a growth mindset right yes, yes. um when we first hear about growth mindset, I think it's very easy to be say, oh, that just means everybody's a winner. We all get trophies, nobody fails at anything. But that it couldn't be farther from the truth, right? Right. Um, right. If you've got a really strong growth mindset, what that means is you're seeking feedback. Yeah. You yep. are you want to see, you know, whether you've your colleagues say that you could be doing something better. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, a lot of that is that. Strong, psychologically safe organizations have mechanisms yeah. for providing feedback, tracking progress, all of those kinds of things. That yeah. um, it's the fearful organization yes. that say, yes. no, we don't collect any data. We don't want to know, you know, if you're thinking as a boss, I don't really want my, you know, supervisees to rate me on Right. right. That's a signal right there.
1: Oh, it's it is that's powerful. So I guess a question I I wrote a note. How does a lot of organizations uh, will obviously have you know uh, evaluations programs, if you will, on on their subordinates. How about the other way around? So whether it be you call it three hundred and sixty evaluations or other, but as we know, feedback is just it's a way for us to get better, right? We need feedback from from all directions, not just one direction. So how does uh, I guess a recommend and or how would like um, in in a very hierarchical hierarchical whatever, you know, the word I'm trying to say, Um, whether it be in the fire service or say something, something like uh, in the faculty at at a university, do you get feedback, for example, from your students about like how you're doing? Uh, And so how, and if so, is it effective? And how can like the fire service adopt something like that to where I'm asking now my subordinates to say, Hey, give me feedback. I know it takes a lot of vulnerability. It takes a lot of, you know, people wanting to be, you know, feelings are psychologically safe to be able to do so. Otherwise you're going to say, Whoa, if I give you feedback and I don't, if I give you bad feedback, am I going to get fired or am I going to get reprimanded? So the question is, is um, do you experience that that's necessary and helpful? And if so, how can the fire service adopt that kind of feedback system?
0: Yeah, um, I I have so many things to say about this. Um, the first one is that um, one of the things that I think is great about the Executive Leadership Academy at with the SFD is the fact that we use a 360 evaluation tool, so that you know the and this is a central part of how um, we try to develop um, our ELA leaders, right? Which is that we are asking for 360 evaluations. Um, and I think you, if you were to talk to any ELA alum, they would probably tell you that they got a lot out of hearing feedback from each other mm-hmm. um, and from the people who report to them, their bosses, their peers, etc. And the more feedback you had, the better, yeah. the more likely you were to, to get something really useful from yes. that. Um, That being said, you know those kinds of 360 degree surveys are both very expensive Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: very easy to weaponize, right? Yeah. Um, And so uh, the alternative to a very costly 360 evaluation is the just normalizing feedback. And to be honest, I think. Um, there are some places where we, you know, corporate America can learn a ton from fire services, you know, mm-hmm. one of the greatest practices that fire services has, you know, on the operations side is, you know, as soon as the fire is done, you are doing the hot wash, the debrief, the talking about what went well, what, what do we need to do differently? And it doesn't, and you're not waiting till the end of the year to yeah. give,
1: you know, I love give that. each yeah. their
0: feedback. That's about, true here's what went well, here's what didn't go well. And, you know, taking that pr- principle yeah. and just applying it beyond just the operational yeah. into, are we showing up as a team? You know, um, I think that's what, um, uh, it's just about you, you've got those muscles already well-developed Yes. being willing to use them in this different way. In right.
1: Way. Yeah. I love yeah. that. So Ken, uh, I guess really quick is, uh, even if it's not a formal, say, 360 evaluation, like whether formal meaning organizational adopting a 360 evaluation, can individuals adopt a 360 evaluation informally?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I would say that the central job of a senior leader is to continually be looking for ways to get feedback, right? yes yeah. yeah. Um. You know, I would say that if you as a leader are only hearing good news or every time you ask for feedback, you say, oh, I wasn't surprised to hear that. I could have told you that before. Yeah. It probably means you're not working hard enough. Yeah, right? You're yeah. not asking the right people. You're not asking the right questions. Yeah. You're not asking in the right way. Yeah. Um, but when I come across a leader who is telling me, Everybody in the organization agrees with me. That to me is a red flag. Yes. That me tells me you probably need to be talking to more people than who you're talking to, mm-hmm. if that's an assumption.
1: Oh, that's uh thank you for saying that. That's good. Vulnerability. Hot topic.
0: Important. Yeah. I want I I'd love to hear from you. Do you <laughs> that's <think> that right. <laughs> vulnerability is a an advantage in fire services when you think about the leaders in fire services that you really respect would you say that they demonstrate vulnerability
1: i mean if by, you're asking do i think they do i my so my first answer would say no Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, vulnerability can be scary, right? We're right, wrong, or indifferent, especially in the fire service. Traditionally speaking, it's vulnerability, you know, is it, it can be seen or viewed as, you know, whether it be cowardice or weak, or whatever that may be. But we know that vulnerability is key in growth and learning. So to answer your question, I would say, uh, do fire service leaders show vulnerability? I think, I think they, they can, and they do, but do they need two more? I need two more. So I, I would say absolutely that, uh, vulnerability is a key characteristics in a strong leader, I believe, because it allows people, like you said earlier, it allows people to understand, especially subordinates, that making a mistake is okay. Showing that vulnerability is okay. Being um, just being outward about uh, if you make a mistake or you fail at something, it's okay. And it helps others see that, Oh, okay. It's okay. Then, then it's okay for me to do so as well. So I guess that's kind of, if that's the answer you're looking for.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm the reason why I ask is because I always think it's important for us to be pressure testing what we're teaching in it to our students, ELA participants, etc. And so what I am curious in understanding is, is it good advice to tell a fire services leader, you need to be more vulnerable Um, and I think. mean, Part of what I'm hearing from you is this mantra that I think is really important, which is what gets you here doesn't keep you here. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is part of, you know, what I would pull out of your answer is that probably if you want to ascend into a leadership position, it's probably not your best bet to show a lot of vulnerability. Sure got to be the person who always has the answer who's willing to step in who doesn't hesitate etc but once you get into that leadership position mm-hmm. then probably you need to switch sure and, and sure. start to demonstrate a little bit more vulnerability a little bit more role modeling so that you can create that psychological safety within the team that you're leading
1: so to an extent i'll uh i'll clarify what i said i think it's you know, I think it's important for leaders, formal or not, to show some vulnerability, um, but also to not let ego get in the way. And what I mean by that is, I don't believe leaders need to have all the answers. Um, but yes, to what you said, one who is, say, working toward a more formal leadership role, or we'll say, for the example, maybe a promoted role, of uh, being confident and competent in your job, you know, is key. So maybe, you know, showing less vulnerabilities, what's necessary to display to others that you are competent you know, and you're able to do the job at a high level. But I believe what's more important is just, you know, being honest, you know, and that's key. And so, you know, if a leader can show some vulnerability, it shows, you know, that they're mature, they're unafraid of, you know, critique or feedback. And, you know, that's how leaders, you know, can learn in my opinion. So that's kind of where I was going with that. So uh, for the sake of time, let's go to uh, rapid fire. Uh, Christina here, you have 60 seconds each question, 60 seconds or less uh, series of three questions. Tangible action items for individuals to start doing today to grow in their current leadership roles, wherever that may be. So the first group is newer employees, you know, recruit firefighters, probationary firefighters or other. What's one thing that you would recommend those individuals do to grow as leaders early in their career?
0: Ask lots of questions. Ask every single question you can, because when you are new, you've got this great opportunity and a window that closes over time. Once you've been around for four or five years, there are certain questions that you don't want to ask because you should have known the answer. Yeah. Right. But that first or second year, ask every question that you can think of because, um, you get you got to take advantage of that grace that that yeah. is given to newbies.
1: Oh, love it. Thank you. All right. Emerging leaders, right? We talked about emerging leaders earlier. Um, aspiring company officers or, you know, someone five, 10, 12 years into their career. Um, what's something those groups can do to continue to grow as leaders?
0: I would say this is the place where your job is to find and make strong relationships with people that are very different from you. The easiest trap, especially for emerging leaders, is to stay with the folks that you already know, who you already trust, who trust you, you all get each other, you have fun together, and that's your comfort zone. And by the way, you can have a really big, full, crowded comfort zone full of people who love you and see the world just the same way you do. Um, The leaders that really distinguish themselves are the ones who are making deliberate, intentional choices to seek out people who are different from them and build relationships with them.
1: Well, I love that you say that out loud, you know, seek people who are different than you. I mean, what's the saying? If you and I are the same, one of us are unnecessary. All right. Senior leaders, established leaders, chief officers, fire chiefs themselves, uh, what's something those groups can do to continue, right? Because they're continuing their leadership development, right? They're not done, right? Just because they're at the fire chief level, they're continuing to grow. Uh, what's something they can do?
0: Uh, I'm not going to belabor this because we already talked about it a lot. I would say work hard to get feedback. Um, okay. Really invest in building up the voices of those who are who may disagree with you, who don't come into your orbit quite as much, um, work hard to get feedback.
1: Awesome. That's, that's key. Okay. Leadership challenge, Uh, Christina, this is something that allows us to further the conversation, right? So the more people we can have, the more perspectives, differences of voices, uh, philosophies, messages helps us grow and um, has people tune in to different types of leaders. So is there someone out there that you would formally like to challenge on the show to come offer their perspective on leadership?
0: Um, I just had a great conversation earlier this week with King County Councilman Girmai Zahile. Ah. Uh, He represents um, King County and the university is in his district. Um, Somebody who was, uh, you know, graduated from um Franklin High School in South Seattle and is, you know, a, a local hometown hero has been doing great work with regards to mental health, um, housing safety, public safety. I think it would be great to have him more connected to fire services. So I'd I'd love to see him um awesome. on the podcast.
1: Awesome. And I will uh Thank you for that. And uh, we'll let uh, him know that he's been leadership challenged by Christina. And I'll gather because I contact info later. Uh, okay. So I know um, it's been an hour. How about this? Lasting leadership thoughts before we officially close.
0: Um, massive gratitude. Uh, I have learned so much about leadership from having the privilege of watching fire services leaders lead and connect and serve our community. Um I feel every time I'm connected to fire services, I see examples of people acting courageously. And I don't mean running into burning buildings, which you do. I mean, um, being willing to ask each other hard questions, being willing to reveal something about themselves that's hard to reveal, Um, uh, putting themselves out there and out of their own comfort zones and trying new things. Um, I feel incredibly blessed to be able to uh, learn from fire services leaders. And I'm so happy to have people like you in my community and my orbit. So, my lasting thought is gratitude.
1: Perfect. Gratitude is uh, an amazing feat for any leader um, of any kind. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in today to the kitchen table. We truly hope that you found this time valuable. And we hope that we've inspired you to take action, to lead, and to spread the leadership conversation. Until next time, be safe, be intentional, and stay curious. And if I know where my...